The reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 20a. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this uh, fourth Sunday in Lent as we have these colors each week. They remind us of the story that we're participating in week to week, whether we know it or not, that God is on the move, that the, the order of God's salvation is progressing towards an end, that we are reminded that God is always coming after us. And so we are in the season of Lent, which is a season of waiting. Uh, and as we're in this season, we've been going through a series focusing on this parable in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal sons, uh, focusing particularly on what it has to teach us about the concept of belonging. That's what our series is called, Belonging, about how we belong to God and to one another. And we're spending these few weeks inhabiting, really trying to sit down in the world of this parable so that in a time when we might easily, as a, as a church, as a community, wonder what is our identity, what is our, our purpose right now when it's easy to feel uh, disconnected, despairing, divided even, that we might know what it looks like to have a place to belong with God, with one another. Uh, Last week, we started looking at the younger son. We're focusing in just on parts of the parable each week. And so if you are visiting with us this week or you weren't here last week, I'm sorry, this is somewhat of a part two. Uh, So I will still try and make it relevant for you. But last week, we looked at, at the younger son leaving and talked about what it means for him to leave, how that was not just a desiring something else, but also a rejecting the home he had. We looked at, at why he did that, why any of us leave belonging with God. It's, it's chasing after these voices that we hear deep in our hearts that tell us that we're lacking, that we're not yet good enough, that we don't have enough. And when we chase those voices like the younger son did, we end up out there in the far, far country, far away from home with God. And when we get there, we realize at some point that we're actually just as alone, if not more alone, than the place we left. 
And so that's where we're picking up the story this morning is the younger son finding himself. We're going to move more through verses 17 through 20 than the earlier parts of the passage, but wanted to give us the continuity of the story. But this is where the, the younger son finds himself, alone, without friends, without support, and deeply in need. And he awakens in this moment and realizes that it is finally time for him to go home. And so we're going to look at his return this morning. We're going to focus our attention there so that we can understand what it means for us to return home to God from the ways that we look for belonging in a thousand other places, the ways that we're deeply desiring most what we were meant to find with God and things that were only made by God, not God himself. I'm going to keep pulling in uh, references throughout the rest of the series to uh, a priest's work, Henry Nowen, called The Return of the Prodigal Son, a reflection on this parable as well as Rembrandt's painting of this parable that he did late in his life, an extended reflection on these things. It's just really rich and has a lot to teach us about what God communicates to us through this parable. And so I want to explore through Nowen's help uh, the younger son's return by looking at just two things this morning. First, what calls us home? Why do we turn around from where we are in the first place to come back to God? And secondly, what really holds us back, even once we've heard that, even when we recognize it, from, from getting all the way there, from really returning? So we'll look at what calls us home in verses 14 to 17, and then what holds us back in verses 18 through 19. Now, before we do that, let's pray and ask God to fill up our hearts and His Word. Lord, we come again as we did at our prelude to still our hearts before You for a few moments before we, we delve more deeply and wade into the waters, into the lake and the ocean of Your Word to find a depth there that we may be uncomfortable with, that may be deeply refreshing, that may feel like an amazing moment when we have just been walking through a parched desert and weariness for, for years, for generations. Would you meet us, God, as we come to wade into your word? Would you wade into the water with us, Lord? Would you meet us there? Would you bring that refreshing that only you can bring as we contemplate what it is to really return to you? I'm sure there are many hearts here and even significant parts of my own heart that have not returned to you, that are afraid to do that, that are unwilling to do that, that are just unsure of what that would even look like. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to turn our hearts back home to you this morning, even if only in a small way, even if it's just a, a crack in the armor, even if it's just a slight softening of a hard, sad afraid, lonely heart, an angry heart, that you would bring return. So we ask that you would be with us in power as only you can, and we are confident that by your Holy Spirit you will be. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to have those open or an app, or there should be a, a hardback Bible in the pew in front of you. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning. We'll start here in verses 14 through 18, looking at what calls us uh, home. Start really in verse 17, we see the younger son finally comes to his senses. That's what the, the little uh, phrase is trying to convey there. It says, when he came to himself, when he finally figured out something was wrong and he needed a change, what brings him to that point? 
Why does he realize that it's time to go home? Why does he want to go home when he wanted so badly, as we talked about last week, to be anywhere other than home? When he would do anything it takes to get away from home, now why, all of a sudden, does he want to come home? Well, two things come out in the story, I think, that, that show us that he is driven to this, that he's not just called, he feels compelled to go, and those two things are an emptiness and a realization. And so looking at the, the emptiness first, the younger son reaches rock bottom in this passage. He had been riding high. He had all the cash he could want. He had unlimited ways to spend it. He had no strings attached on how he spent it. And yet here, after riding so high, he goes to the very bottom. A severe famine has come into the land and he has no family connections. He has no more money. He has no generosity from anyone. He has in this moment nothing. He is without the money that he extracted from his family, and no one cares about him. He has none of the things that he wanted to get through that, the the belonging, the authenticity, the experiences. When the money has dried up, so has his flourishing. And now he is out of the ability to buy that kind of life that he wants. And more than that, because of this famine, he is facing the significant possibility that life may not happen for him at all anymore, just period. He is just plain hungry and in need, and he's not sure where his next meal is coming from. Maybe you felt that moment. It's a moment of deep desperation and frustration and loneliness. He is longing just to eat. It says the the slop that he would feed the pigs that he has hired himself out to feed. He is jealous of what an animal is eating. Verse 16. That is a deeply lonely place. It's a huge reversal from him having these extravagant parties and experiences. Now he's just hungry and not able to fill the hunger. He's empty. He's desperate. He has nothing. This is unquestionably, and what Jesus is trying to show us here, a life on empty. When all the things that you've been chasing, all the things that you hoped would fill you, turn out to be nothing but ashes and dust, turn out to be a bottomless pit instead of a mountain, when those things run out, it is just an overwhelming emptiness and fear that you feel. Emory Nowen says the younger son in this moment is coming face to face with how he had, quote, become disconnected from all that gives life. He's disconnected from his family, his friends, his community, his acquaintances, even food, even the basic things that give you life, he is now disconnected from. He is feeling the eventual product, the fruition of that choice that he made so long ago to disconnect. Now that disconnection is happening as his life unravels before him. Now and says one more step in the direction he was going would take him not to sadness and loneliness, but to destruction, to an end. In other words, he has come to the point where he has lost everything that goes with a full life, with belonging, with even just basic needs. And now, as Nowen points out, he is on the edge of losing life itself. Things are not going the way he thought they would go. Anyone had that experience? You're in life and it's not going the way you thought it would go. This is what starts to stir up the desire in him to go home. 
This is his wake-up call, having the life that he wanted and even life itself, more significantly, just seem to slip through his fingers so he has nothing to hold on to. He is just empty. That's all he has is emptiness. He's sensing the call to come home in part from this deep emptiness. This is how Jesus communicates that we, when we are like the younger son and we run away intentionally from God, this is part of how we wake up. This is part of when we wake up. It's sometimes that God lets us chase and chase and chase that thing that just doesn't satisfy until we finally get to that moment when we realize so deeply that it just actually doesn't satisfy. It's just emptiness. When the things that would otherwise distract us can't cover up that that desire for true belonging and flourishing that's been there, it's just been covered over. When that's finally in our face, when the temporary fixes come up empty, we start to have a hunger for home. We start to recognize just how lonely we are, just how lost we feel. And God often works to bring us to our senses, to bring us home when the distractions and the illusions stop working. So if you find yourself in that moment today, if you find yourself in that moment in the future when the things that you thought would work out are just not working out, when the way you wanted things to be is not going along as it is, that's actually a moment of good news because that's not when God abandons you. Jesus is telling this parable in part to show you that that is one of the key moments that God actually uses to draw you back. God doesn't leave us alone in the moments we feel most alone, when we feel most empty and disappointed. Those are the moments when God is maybe most near, when He's most tangible, when we're closest to the, when we are the closest to home maybe that we have been in months or years. We're not the farthest. It feels like that, but we're most connected, most, most in the proximity of God moving towards you. That's actually where He's nearest. So don't despair if you find yourself in those moments. Because emptiness is part of what calls us home, but the call to come home is not just found in emptiness. Uh, I'll give you an example that, uh, sadly, addictions are things that we can chase and chase and chase, and we can reach rock bottom in addiction. Our life can fall apart, our relationships can unravel, and yet that emptiness that we feel is not necessarily something that wakes us up and makes us decide that this is not the life that I want. Some of us maybe have gone through deep addiction. Some of us have friends and family that are suffering deep addiction. And you might know that just reaching that emptiness is not necessarily enough to turn you around and bring you home. You need something more than just seeing that your circumstances aren't working out. You need a realization about what it is that's true of you in that moment and how you got there. We have to realize that this is emptiness. The younger son needs to see that this longing to eat what pigs eat, that is emptiness. That is rock bottom. And how he got there is not an accident. He needs to see that that was a product of his choices. It's realization, not just the emptiness that we have, but realizing what it is and how we got there. Otherwise, we will never come to our senses. We will just dig deeper. We'll just set into anger and frustration that the things we want aren't coming, that people are getting in the way, 
that circumstances are getting in the way, that we're getting in the way of ourselves, we'll blame a thousand other things rather than come home. Rather than face the fact that we are in a moment of emptiness and desperation, we need that realization. The younger son realizes, it says he comes to his senses, that this experience of wanting to eat what animals eat is emptiness. Henry Nouwen says, when he found himself desiring to be treated as one of the pigs, he realized that he was not a pig, but a human. This was a wake-up moment, a moment of clarity for him. He realized he was a human being, a son, Nouwen says, of his father. And this realization became the basis for his choice to live instead of die. He realizes in this moment that this is not the life he wants to live, that, that if this is where chasing a life without limits, without strings attached, without any kind of community to check you or support you, that if that's where this life goes, then this is not the life I want. He finally wakes up to see where the path that he has been walking leads, and this is where it leads. Ultimately, Jesus is trying to show us that walking away from God, trying to treat the things that God has made as God, ultimately only, once the curtain is pulled back, once you reach rock bottom, shows you that there is nothing there in the end. What did God make all things out of in the beginning? Did he make it out of substance? Did he make it out of some other God? Was there life in and of these things? It says there was emptiness, and God spoke into the emptiness. He spoke light into darkness. He spoke creation into being out of nothing. And so when you take away those things, when you take God out as the source of those things, what are you left with? Nothing. Emptiness. When we chase the things that God has made to draw us into flourishing, into belonging with Him, away from Him, apart from Him, we find that they unravel back into what they were in the beginning, which was nothing. The younger son realizes, he wakes up to see that he has been chasing things that cannot support life, that cannot bring flourishing on their own. He realizes when he is down in the mud that this is not just emptiness. This is emptiness that he led himself to. He recognizes what it is and how he got there. It's his mistake. This is his fault. He owns that entirely in this passage. He has a bold confession that he is prepared to give to his father. He doesn't say, well, things didn't turn out so well. I had a little bad luck. You know, some things didn't quite pan out the way I thought they would in business, so I'm back. No, 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 no. He owns it all. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I recognize, that's what those words mean, I recognize that this is my own doing. I brought myself here. Nobody else brought me to this point. I brought me to this point. It says so clearly in verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He realizes that the problem is not just with his circumstances. It is with him. It's with his heart. He is admitting his own guilt, and this is critical, critical to our returning to having God as our home. 
to acknowledge what led us away is the beginning point of actually healing and coming back. It's not the end of you. We feel like that so often, maybe in your Christian life, or maybe if you're not a Christian, that the fear of what confession would be, admitting that this is who you are, the parable is trying to show you, Jesus is trying to show you that is the starting point for coming home, not the ending point of you ever having a home. This is where you must go if you have been gone to come back. This is the off-ramp that takes you in the direction you need to go. If you miss it, you will never go that right way. You have to take the off-ramp of confession to go home. I want to hear that this morning. The off-ramp of confession, we already confessed this morning, that leads you where? It leads you home, not away from God, to God. And if you don't take that off-ramp, you don't get back there. Jesus himself says this elsewhere in Luke, that if you do not repent, you will die. Repentance is the off-ramp that leads you in the direction of belonging with God. To come home to God from seeking belonging anywhere else, we have to realize that we brought ourselves to this place of mud, of longing to eat what an animal would eat, of emptiness and ashes. Until we see that the problem is not just out there, but in here, our shopping for belonging somewhere that it can't be found will never stop. We'll just keep looking for another avenue. We'll never come home to God where belonging is totally a free gift. We will just be out there buying and working and struggling and selling and trying to have when it was never meant to be bought and sold. It was always meant to be given. The younger son realizes this, that the problem was on the inside too, that his need was caused not just by the famine, but by his having left home to find belonging somewhere else. It's in that realization that he answers the call to come home, recognizing that this is not the life I want to live. This is not going to lead to flourishing for me, abandoning my family, my father, the home I had to go out and buy what someone would tell me is where I can belong, where I can fit in, where I can find meaning. That, that, that's not where I want to go. It doesn't lead where I thought it led. I need to come home, and it was my mistake that led me there. And it's my confession that's going to lead me home. But realizing hasn't healed him all the way. If we look at how he's talking, he is not totally healed yet from having been off in the far country, from having sought belonging in some other ways. He's not fully yet a child of his parent again in his experience, in his understanding of himself. Something is still holding him back from that. If you look at what he says in verses 18 through 19, he still calls his father, Father, but his assumption, right, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. His assumption is, I am still biologically your son, but I am no longer relationally your son. He thinks their relationship is dead, and in some ways he is right, right? He wished his father dead to have his inheritance. That's the only time you can have an inheritance when someone passes away. He wished his father dead so that he could have his things. He effectively killed that relationship. He is doing an important thing in confessing that. Acknowledging, I killed you. I think the battery just died on that one. We'll keep moving. He's acknowledging that he did something deeply wrong, and there's something good in that, but there's something in him that's not yet healed and whole. He doesn't plan to come back as a son, but as a servant. 
He doesn't have hope for a resurrection of that relationship that he thinks is dead. He thinks that can't possibly happen. He's held back from a full return to really belong. He's not trying to belong in being a servant. He's just trying to get by. That's what so many of us are trying to do and in the ways that we chase belonging and settling for less than God would have us. We're just trying to get by. I'm not hoping to belong. I'm not hoping to really be valued here, to really be understood here. I'm just hoping to get by, to not be so lonely, to not be so sad or frustrated or disappointed. I'm just trying to get by. That's not all the way back yet. That's not really belonging as God meant you to belong. God means for you to thrive and flourish, to feel valued and beautiful and worthy and worthwhile. The younger son doesn't know himself that way yet. So what holds him back? What holds us back from, from hoping that we would be welcomed all the way back to really belonging to God the Father, despite even what we've done? despite who we have become. That brings us to our second point about what holds us back from truly returning in verses 18 through 19. And again, I think there's many things that we could see, but two certainly jump out at me. And those two things are fear and empty hands. Based on the speeches that the younger son prepares in verse 18 through 19, if we look at those, fear is clearly a part of what's holding him back from belonging again in a real way. Uh, We talked about this last week in the younger son leaving, that when we leave belonging with God, it's partly a response to fear, fear that we're going to miss out, that we're not going to have enough, that we won't be significant, that we won't get the things that we want to get on the timeline that we want to get them. And so out of that fear, we go out looking for what we have already had at home somewhere that it can't be found. We follow voices that make us afraid. It's fear that leads us into that far country of chasing belonging somewhere else, away from God, and it's fear that sticks with us. It is hard to get rid of that fear that you won't be enough, that you won't have enough. We fear that the voices we listen to on the way out are still right on the way back. We're afraid that when they said we are not worthy of belonging to God or anywhere, that you're not worthy of being here, you're not worthy of being valued there, that you can't pay to get that kind of value and no one's going to pay it for you, especially not for the things that you've done wrong, that you better come up with a plan. You better work hard. Because nobody is going to give it to you. We're afraid that those voices that we chased on the way out are still with us. The younger son is still afraid that he is not going to be worthy of belonging there. That he's not going to be valued. He still thinks that that is going to happen. He can't imagine now, especially after what he did, that he could ever really belong after having a debt like he incurred that his wrongs could actually be forgiven, that wishing your father dead in a culture and a society like that could ever possibly be healed is beyond his imagination. It would have been beyond the imagination of any of the hearers, certainly of the Pharisees and scribes and even the sinners and tax collectors, verses 1 through 3, that were listening to Jesus. It would have been beyond the imagination that a debt like this, that a brokenness like this could be healed and restored, and yet it is not, as this parable shows us, beyond Jesus' imagination. 
Maybe just as a, a brief side note of application, where, where can you not imagine something that is broken in your life being healed? And yet see through this parable that Jesus says, I can imagine that being healed. I can imagine that that gets undone. And yet, the prodigal younger son and we are held up from coming home to God because part of our heart still lives in the fear of that other country, that faraway place of earning and buying and achieving to belong. And if you can't pay, you don't receive. We still carry that fear. It's still grafted into our hearts and it is really hard to get out. The problem, though, is not with God. The problem for the younger son is not that his father won't receive him. It's that his heart is still afraid. It's that he still doesn't actually understand what belonging ever meant there in the first place. The problem is not home. It's not that his dad won't receive him. He thinks he won't. The problem is that he still doesn't know who his father is. Jesus is partly trying to tell the scribes and the Pharisees, you still don't know who God is. Maybe that's true for you this morning. You still don't know what God is like. You still don't know that when you get home and you confess and you're real about what's gone on in here, that you're going to meet a God who actually says, I'm so glad you're home. I've been waiting for you. That's not the God that we expect. We can't comprehend how his values work. We can't understand how his kingdom works. We can't understand his way of life, his approach. This is incomprehensible to us. We can't imagine being forgiven and restored probably because we would not forgive or restore someone that would do this to us. We can't comprehend belonging just even after all this for free. What hinders us coming home is not God, because God is gracious. We're stumbled, in fact, by God's insistence that we belong by grace. We're not stumbled by a God who will not forgive you. We're stumbled by the idea that God would forgive you for free, for no cost of your own. And not just that, but now one says that we're also held back not just by this fear and this inability to comprehend that God would act this way. We're stumbled from returning to a true experience of belonging with God because of empty hands. He says, coming home to God empty-handed like the younger son has is very hard. The text gives us no idea that the son is coming with treasures. He comes tattered and broken. The father says, put shoes on his feet. That means he is coming home barefoot. He has no possessions. He is carrying nothing of pride or value with him. He comes home ragged, worn down, and empty-handed. That's how he comes back to the father that he has robbed and killed in his heart. Comes back with nothing to show for it. Coming home empty-handed to God is very hard. In fact, just receiving love and forgiveness and belonging, not, not earning it, not having something in your hands to justify it, to pay for it, to say, I am do this, that is maybe one of the most challenging things that you could ever do in your life, period. 
But God says this is exactly the way that you and I receive belonging. Not by coming with something to offer, but by coming home empty-handed. That's the way that we receive with God. That's the way that God offers you grace. Not when you have brought your achievements, not when you brought your best week, your best self, not when you brought all of your, your spiritual acumen, your theological understanding, all your memorization, all your, all your hard work. Not when we bring something and set it on the table, but when you come with nothing, empty-handed, that's when you receive. That's when your hands are actually open to receive. To have God give you something. All we need, God says, is our nothing. That's what Jesus is trying to explain to the scribes and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in the early part of this text. All you need is your nothing. These sinners and tax collectors are coming to me empty-handed because they have finally understood what you you have failed to yet see, that all you need when you come to me is nothing. That is a core part of the gospel, that all you need to come home to God is nothing. If you're waiting to get yourself ready, you're waiting until you can understand enough, till you can get enough right, till you feel good enough about about the way you act around others, the way you treat each other, you are waiting too long. You have missed the off-ramp of confession and restoration. All you need to come home is nothing. If you have nothing this morning to bring and to offer to God, if you feel yourself empty and out of gas and out of value, you are perfectly ready to be welcomed home by God. Amen. If you have nothing today, you are right where God hopes to find you. Coming back as empty-handed prodigals, acknowledging all we've squandered, how we've gone wrong, requires us, as Nowen points out, to be completely vulnerable before God. And that is probably the rock bottom of what hinders us from coming home, is that we all hate, I hate vulnerability. No one likes being completely vulnerable in front of others. We do not like that. We want to have some armor. We want to have some protection. We want to have something that gives us control. And yet coming home to God requires us to be totally and completely vulnerable. To have no bargaining chips, no control, no options. Just simply accept whatever God would give to you or take from you without argument or conditions. To be vulnerable is the way that we come home. And now one says receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness this vulnerability, to let God be God and do all the healing, all the restoring, and all the renewing. As long as I want to do even a part of that myself, I end up with partial solutions like becoming a hired servant instead of coming back as a son. Unless I am willing to let God be God, to be completely vulnerable and empty-handed before him, I stay in that far country of buying my hope. 
of working for something that I receive as what's due to me. I have to, in order to just receive by grace, come and let God be God and let me be vulnerable before him. I have to let him deal with me the way that he and he alone decides is good. And this, if we look at the cross closely, this is what the cross is about when it comes to our vulnerability, to our, to our need for control and options. Letting God deal with you how he will is what the cross is about, especially if that means that you have nothing to contribute. And the cross unequivocally says, you and I have nothing to contribute. Jesus takes that right out of your hands. The ability to buy some sort of belonging, some sort of righteousness before God, some sort of self-justification, he takes that right out of our hands because the cross unequivocally says that you contribute nothing to being welcomed in by God. Jesus pays it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He's washed me White as snow. It's at the cross that not I, but he was shamed. It's at the cross that Jesus was rejected. It's at the cross that Jesus was alone. It's there that he is treated like an animal less than human. It's there that he comes home wounded and bleeding. It's there that he is hungry and thirsty. It's there that he is wondering where his father is. It's there that he's not really feeling much like a beloved son. All because of our sin and our wrongs, our rejection of the life that leads to life. And where am I? Where are you when all of that is happening? What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but adding to the problem. Nothing but adding to the weight that was on his shoulders. We simply receive at the cross what God does for you. You simply receive the way he wishes to deal with you, to treat with you. You don't bargain there. He tells you this is the way it's going to happen. This is the way I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it in the only way that can lead to life for you, that can lead to belonging for you because you can't do it on your own. I'm trying to show you that at the cross that you can't do this on your own. Would you let me... Do it. We just receive there what God does for us to save us from ourselves. To put to death the heart in us that demands still to buy and pay and control, to have something in our hand to offer. So to truly return, to not be held back from, from belonging at all, we have to come home as these empty-handed, vulnerable prodigals who have nothing to offer. Nothing. If you find yourself in that moment in community where you feel like, I have nothing that I am proud of, I feel ashamed, I feel empty, that is the way that we come in. That's the basis of Christianity. It's not be a good person here and belong. If you have messed up this week, if you have blown it in your relationships with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, that is not the end point for your belonging in the Christian faith because you don't have to do anything. You just belong by receiving. We get to be those people that say, yes, we get to take the off-ramp of confession and say, that was me. I did that, yes, because I don't have to be the one who is good enough. 
We have one who is good enough in Jesus Christ. And now in him, by grace, through faith, I, because God has chosen to deal with me that way on his terms, by grace, through faith, I, through nothing of my own, am now completely good enough. On your worst day, you're good enough. We have to let him restore us in the way that he wants to. Anything less, as Nowen says, is just a partial solution. We're still just kind of bargaining with God. Still part of us being at home in the fear of the far country. It's still trying to hold something in our hands instead of throwing ourselves on the kindness of a God who would sooner let himself become vulnerable, wounded, and empty, and broken, and even dead rather than shut you out. See, what hinders our full return to belonging with God is not God. It's not his willingness to welcome someone like you back in. It's our unwillingness to let go of that control, to be completely vulnerable and trust. That's what faith is, to trust with a vulnerability that he will be kind to you. To risk, that's what faith requires. That's what coming home to belonging with God requires, risk. To risk ourselves, and that comes out of that deep place of finding emptiness, not wanting the life that we want to have, responding to that, realizing we are willing, because of what we face, to risk coming home with that vulnerability. And the cross shows us that it really is safe for you to come home. Safe, in fact, required for you to come home empty-handed because his arms are open wide. He is ready for you to come home. So how might we do that uh, this week a little more concretely? I want to invite you to do two things, to, to hear the wake-up call and to go back to your father. So to hear the wake-up call of this passage is difficult. It's going to require some heart-searching. Maybe it's right on the surface for you. Maybe you feel like, I know what it is. It's right there. But is there an emptiness that you are trying to fill up somewhere other than God that's turning out to be not there at all, that's turning out to give you anxiety, ulcers, health problems, relational problems? Is there an emptiness you are chasing that's leaving you empty or at least not guaranteed so that you have to keep chasing it is always fragile it's always breakable is there something that you've been chasing that's not leading to life where is that you this morning the invitation of our text is to hear the wake-up call is there a low point that you want to come out from is there some healing and forgiveness that you that you finally feel ready to accept. You're not even sure if you're ready to accept it, but you at least know what it is. The younger son surely had a lot of self-talk that went on before he came to that moment of, yep, I'm going to go home. And maybe you need some of that, but, but where are you living the life that you don't want to live? With your parents, with your kids, with your siblings, amen? With our roommates, Twice amen, perhaps. 
Where are you living the life that you don't want to live? The invitation of the younger son is to come to your senses to see the ways in which that it's not just circumstances, but some part of you has led to, the, to that emptiness that you feel. But that you can still come home and feeling that emptiness because you are still, by the grace of God, or if you have never been, you can still be today a son or daughter of God. That God sees you through Jesus Christ as having immeasurable worth and value. You can hear the call to come home, to turn away from emptiness, to come home because you can still be and still are, if you know him that way, a son or a daughter. So wake up. Hear the call to come home. Leave the things that are not leading to life. And secondly, Go back to your father with open hands. We don't find the answer for our emptiness in that far country of DIY, do it yourself. That is what got us lost. That's what got us lost in the Garden of Eden. That's been our plague all throughout humanity. This I have to do it myself. That is the anthem of walking away from God, not walking towards God. Trying to earn, to pay, to chase. Come home to the God who welcomes you just by asking and receiving, by grace. Get up, like verse 20 says. He got up. Get up and go back to God and just ask. Admit you're wandering with open hands, saying, God, I, there is nothing good about me on my own apart from the grace that you have given. And you've seen how I've led myself to this place. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to acknowledge it all. I'm going to say, yes, that is truly me. Come home empty-handed and vulnerable because, again, remember, that is the point where he finds you. In what way this week do you need to open your hands? Hmm? What way do you need to open your hands to say, I'm not in control? I don't have what it takes in me to do this. I'm just going to come completely open-handed and ask that you would, acknowledging that I can't. Don't bring your justifications and your compromises. Where do you need to set those down? And just drop it. Like you're holding a 100-pound dumbbell. Just boof. Right? Where do you need to let that go? Because any shielding, any hiding, any half-truths with God... That's not coming home with open hands. It isn't trusting God to do it for you and be gracious to you. It's not seeing the God that is Jesus Christ with open arms nailed open to show that he is eternally waiting to embrace you. Jesus took the pain that you and I anticipate sensing with God so that instead you might have grace. So all you have to do is come home with open hands and receive the welcome of Jesus. Let's pray. I'd like to spend a few moments talking with God, uh, give you a few promptings to do that, maybe thanking God for, for letting belonging just be something that you receive, or confess the ways that you really don't want to be vulnerable with him. You really don't want to let go and let your hands be open. You, you still feel like out of fear, out of pride, that you've you got to bring something. Ask God to help you let that go. Let's pray for a few moments.
God, I pray that you would hear these prayers by your grace, that you with open arms would wrap up these sons and daughters, that you would call home new sons and daughters, and that you would show us your overwhelming grace. In your name we pray, amen.